looking at Second John, and uh, uh, open your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you open and use them and look at them during the service, uh, during the the lesson. And last week we were looking at truth's protection, and I hope you really saw clearly that we're to look out for the truth. It's a means by which we show love for one another. Love doesn't eliminate truth. We resist false teaching by being diligent to walk in the truth, being discerning of lies and liars, and being determined to stay alert. And then we also reject false teachers. It's not just about the content. It's about the messengers that bring it. And uh, Satan likes nothing better than to uh, invade, let's use that, since I can say that today, invade a church like ours, a, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, and bring false teaching. And that's verses 10 through 11. We saw last week, don't accept them into the church or into your home. And now more than ever, there's ways to, uh, through media and technology to have false teaching into your life. Don't assist them in their ministry. last thing we want to do is give a platform for uh, false teaching to encourage it, to support it, to promote it. And then don't acknowledge them as family. This is very important. And so if somebody rejects Christ, it doesn't believe in Christ, we shouldn't call them believers. If someone does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only way to the Father, then they're not part of the family. And we shouldn't be calling them brothers and sisters in Christ. Still be kind, still be loving. In fact, uh, the key of love is even more important than ever in the sense that you're trying to reach them uh, hopefully for Christ. What's at stake? Uh, rewards are lost by true believers. You don't lose your salvation as a true believer if you, if you get uh, duped by false teaching, but you do lose rewards. And if you promote false teaching, you're going to lose rewards not only as individual, but even as a church. Salvation is missed by false believers and unbelievers. Last thing we want is unsaved people believing a false gospel. You believe a false gospel, uh, you don't get a second chance when you die. If you believe the wrong thing, you end up eternally separated from God. And we need to remember that. And then we saw last week, evil is promoted by anyone who helps them. So take a Take a look uh, at Second John here. Look at verse 11. It's, it's kind of the last main thing in the letter. Notice what he says in verse 11. For the one who gives him a greeting, accepting him as a true believer, accepting their, her, his or her teaching as truth according to the Bible, the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. And the word for participates there is fellowship, partnership. You're sharing in this. How important is this? Look over at 3 John. Look over at 3 John. 3 John is the positive message that contrasts with 2 John. So in 2 John, he's saying, look, don't partner with false teachers. But 3 John is all about partnering with true teachers, true missionaries. Look at 3 John, verse 5. Beloved... You're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers. So missionaries that come to our church each October and sometimes during the year, when they come, 
They're not from here. They're not a part of our body, but they are true teachers of the gospel. He says, look, whatever you do for them, you do well. And look at verse 6. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So, wow, these guys are so true to the gospel. They're so true in the fellowship of believers that you treat them like you would God. You know, you don't treat them as gods, but you get the idea. You give them the honor and you give them the support like you would want uh, because of your love for God. Then look at verse 7. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. But look at verse 8. A total contrast with verse 11 in Second John. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So, you're either going to be partnering with false teachers or you partner with uh, true gospel uh, missionaries. So, that's what we saw last week. Now, in our study, we're down to the last two verses, the conclusion of the letter, okay? And so, we're here on the side... Truth matters in a world of lies and liars. We've been watching out for counterfeits. We've been talking about how love protects truth with one another. And now we're down to learn the truth and the pursuit of truth. So that's kind of where we're at. And uh, so let's kind of dive into that. And uh, it says there on your notes, truth matters. Truth matters. I hope you see that by this point in this study. Therefore, become lifelong learners of sound doctrine. Become lifelong learners of sound doctrine. I think that's what he says in these last two verses. Be lifelong learners of sound doctrine. Let's look at it in your Bibles. Look at uh, 2 John and let's look at verses 12 through 13. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, he's saying the same thing. This is the same way he ends 3 John. He's got one piece of papyrus sheet. So think of an eight and a half by 11 piece of notebook paper. And he's down, you ever written a letter and you get down to the end and you're not going to write two pages, you're going to write one and you're like, okay, I got to wrap this up. And that's what he's saying. He's gotten to the end of his, uh, the, the papyrus sheet and he's saying, look, I've got a lot more to say, but I don't want to write it. I want to say it in person. There's more for you to learn. And so that's the idea. Be a lifelong learner of sound doctrine. Now, he says, I have many things today. Wouldn't that be great to know what the many things were? He has many things to say. But here's what we know. We know that at least whatever he said, whatever he said when he went to that church, whatever he said in person, it had to be consistent with the letters that he's already uh, written. So look in your, your notes. There's the review again of First, Second, and Third John. So you, you say, well, what do you think he said to that church? Well, I think he said a lot of what he wrote in First John. I think he, he did that. I think he applied. I think he said what he wrote in Third John. You get a feeling of what these many things were. Now, when you think about it, what did he go and do? There's all sorts of things. I think he gave them additional instruction. 
I think he gave them uh, application. Hey, I wrote to you now. How do you apply this? Wouldn't you love to have an apostle sit with you and tell you how to apply the truths of Scripture? And that's what they had uh, with John. Uh, I, I think he probably came and confronted some false teachers that might have gotten into the church. I think he took time to refute the false teaching that they had heard, go further, deeper into what he wrote. He probably had to correct some of the members of the church who had been deceived by false teaching. I think he had to clarify some things. False teaching creates doubts. False teaching raises questions where there shouldn't be questions. False teaching puts question marks where there ought to be exclamation marks. And so I think he had to do that. But more than anything, what John wanted to do was interact with them. He says, I can't wait to get to see you. I can't wait to talk to you face to face, literally mouth to mouth. All right. And listen, when false teaching comes in, when people have been exposed to false teaching, you can't just send them a blog and think it's going to fix it. You can't just send them a, a message, say, hey, go listen to this message. You know, you ought to do those things, but ultimately what you've got to do is you've got to sit down and you've got to interact. Because false teaching, it's kind of like when, uh, ladies, when you're vacuuming, I know nothing about vacuuming, do I, Gwen? Uh, but I see Gwen do this, that she vacuums and it gets all tangled up. And you've got to pull that all out and you've got to untangle that mess. False teaching ties knots, causes confusion, and you have to untangle that and it takes interaction. Listen. We are to counter false teaching in the context of community. And that's what we're going to learn. Now, another thing that I know he wanted to do was to complete their joy. I think this is powerful. Look at these verses again. Look, I've got more to say to you, but I don't want to do it in writing. I want to do it in person so that your joy may be made full. False doctrine robs joy. False doctrine, false teaching robs you of your joy in church, your joy in listening to the gospel, your joy in reading the Bible. And when you get grounded in gospel truth and grounded in biblical truth, your joy becomes full. So here's whatever else, whatever else he wanted to do. I think there's three things that we can get from these two verses, and it's this. Three ways that we can pursue truth as lifelong learners. So as we exit this series, as we close this short letter, I want you to think about three ways that you can be a lifelong learner. And the time to start is this summer, okay? Because you ought to have a plan of what you're going to read. Uh, you know, our family, we're going on vacation. I got a little stack of books. I don't know if I'll get to them, but the intent is there to be, look, let's read, let's learn, let's grow this summer. Here's three ways. Number one, learn to discern the deceptive ways of false teachers and false teaching. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. That We kind of hit this last week, but this is how you become a lifelong learner. You've got to learn to discern. So let's say that together. Learn to discern. Turn to your neighbor. Learn to discern. It's crucial. It's key. It's critical. Now, how important is this? Notice he says, though I have many things to write to you. I think... A major part of what he wanted them to learn to do was, look, you've got to be discerning. 
know who you're going to partner with. Know who you're not going to partner with. Know the gospel essentials. Know that. And I hope that this letter's helped you with that. And if you want more help, then read Jude. Because Jude's all about the same thing. Now, here's the first thing. Learn to discern the degrees of, her- uh, of error. Now, I love this illustration uh, that kind of highlights this. Uh, the story is told, I was walking across the bridge one day, and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. So I ran over and I said, stop, stop, don't do it, don't do it. And the man said, why shouldn't I? And I said, well, there's so much to live for. And he said, like what? And I said, well, are you an atheist or, a reli- or religious? And he said, religious. And I said, me too. And he, I said, well... Uh, and, he, and then I asked, are you Buddhist or Christian? And he said, Christian. And I said, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? And he said, Protestant. And I said, me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? And he said, Baptist. And I said, wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of the Lord or Baptist Church of God? And he said, Baptist Church of God. And I said, great, I am too. Are you original Baptist Church of God? Or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? And he said, Reformed Baptist Church of God. And I said, again, me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879? Or Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? And he said, Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879. Die, you heretic scum. And I pushed him off the bridge. Okay. So we can kind of relate that. You got to discern degrees of error, okay? If you're 1879 or 1913 or whatever, that's not the issue, okay? The, the issue are the fundamentals. So you need to know degrees. So let's look at this a little bit. False teaching is more than schism. More than schism. You say, what is schism? Schism is simply, it's a Greek term, and it just means division. Separation. Us Christians are famous for separating, you know, making mountains out of molehills, separating over the wrong things, and just being divisive. And we shouldn't have that reputation, right? You know, the whole thing of, hey, the pew, you know, the carpet ought to be green, and no, the carpet ought to be blue. Die heretic scum. Off the bridge with you, you know? Uh, the wrong color. Listen, notice what it says in your notes. Decision and strife due to carnal, immature, or self-righteous thinking or behavior, coupled with a major lack of love and Christ-likeness. Nothing about doctrine in that definition. The issue is not doctrine. We believe the same things. We're just immature and picking at each other and not loving on each other and getting into a party spirit. Well, I'm for this. You're for that. What do you think about that? And if you want to get a lesson on how to be divisive and and schematic, schism, then just go to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It's all throughout this book. Turn to 1 Corinthians, just chapter 1. Let's look at verses 10. Uh, 10 through um, uh, 13 or so there. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it starts right here in the first chapter. This is why he's white right in the letter. Is Look, you guys are divisive. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that you all agree and that there be no divisions. And that Greek word is schemata, schisms, that there not be divisiveness among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, some members of the church he had encountered, that there are quarrels among you. So it's argumentative, tit for tat, that kind of thinking. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul. See, there's schism, there's division. The Paul people. I am of Apollos. No, I like his style of preaching. I am of Cephas. He was more simple and down to earth. I am of Christ. There's the pious group. Has Christ been divided? Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? Listen, this isn't about you or me or our favorite preachers. It's about Christ. And that's what we're talking about. Listen, false teaching's more than this. More than this. I give you different words there. Division, strife, uh, factions. Uh, it's just the party spirit. So... False teaching is more than not getting along due to immaturity and personality, okay? That's the first thing. So there's, there are divisions sometimes that happen in churches that need to be dealt with, but the issue is not false teaching. It's just immaturity. It's time to grow up, okay? And you need the Bible to help you that. There's Bible application in that, but the issue is not false teaching. Number two, false teaching is more than error. It's more than error. Listen, even the best of Bible teachers get things wrong. In fact, for a lot of years, John MacArthur, probably one of the most faithful, famous Bible expositors of our generation, for a lot of years taught something in error regarding the Son of God, and people confronted him on it, and it came to a point where he said, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong on this, and adjusted his teaching. That was error. Was he a false teacher? No. He just taught the wrong interpretation. Let me give you two examples of this that are in the Bible. The first is error of belief. Sometimes people teach the wrong thing. They, they teach the wrong thing. That's why I tell you anytime we're teaching or preaching at our church, have an open Bible. Be a Berean. Check and see if we're getting it right. Okay? There was an error of belief. Apollos' error was an error of instruction. Uh, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. A Acts chapter 18. And again, on the back table, there's a, a more in-depth chart of these degrees that you can pick up and look at. But let's look at Acts chapter 18. If you notice, in verses 25 through 20, in this short few verses, we get a real lesson on how even the best of Bible teachers can get things wrong, okay? Because we're all supposed to be what? Lifelong learners, even the teachers, even the preachers. Now, notice, Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord, so he knew sound doctrine. And he was speaking and teaching accurately the things of Jesus as far as he understood them. The problem was he only knew about the baptism of John. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that had happened in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. So he's teaching as much as he knew, but he's not teaching enough because he just simply didn't know. The issue with 
Apollos was not arrogance of false teaching. It was ignorance and just needing to learn more. And the way we know that is two believers, two people that had that Berean spirit, Aquila and and Priscilla, a married couple, not pastors, not apostles, just ordinary people that worked with Paul and knew the gospel, took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And boom, why we know he's not a false teacher is he submits to the truth and notice what it ends up saying. He greatly helped those who believed through grace and powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. The point here is this. No false doctrine, just error that needed further teaching, further instruction. The issue was not arrogance, it was ignorance. It wasn't a lack of submission, it was a lack of instruction. So just because somebody gets it wrong, you don't scream out, false teacher, false teacher. Email them, write to them, interact with them, especially in our church, interact in person. You know, please don't send emails about error. The way to deal with error is, hey, could I get with you? You said something, you preached something, you taught something. I'd like to talk to you. I have some questions. I've had people do that all sorts of times during my time here. And, and you just, oh, clarify. In fact, a lot of times you come after the, after the lesson and just say, hey, i got a question about that. Or, hey, and I, typically what I'll tell you is, let's have lunch. Let's get together. Let's interact. Why? How do you, how do you clarify things? In community. Amen? Make sense? All right. Now. There's also error of behavior, error of belief, Apollos, but there's also error of behavior. Peter, of all people, the apostle Peter, the rock upon which, uh, whose confession of faith Jesus built the church, even Peter had an error of behavior. And that takes place in Galatians 2. So you can turn to Galatians 2 in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 2, look at verses 11 through 14. We're not going to take the time to read through those, but they're just in four short verses. We see an apostle that makes an error, not in belief, but behavior, not in interpretation, but in application. And he needs to be confronted by the apostle Paul. Now, we know that Peter was no false teacher, teaching false doctrine. But when it came to applying the truths of the gospel, he couldn't resist the peer pressure of Jewish legalists, and he began to compromise the application of the gospel to the point that he was being a hypocrite. He would have fellowship with Gentiles around uh, meat uh, that wouldn't be kosher. He'd eat with the Gentiles as long as it was just Gentiles. But when the Jewish legalists came up from Jerusalem, he would then say, sorry, guys, can't come over for dinner. Got to hang out with the, my Jewish brethren. And so he's being a hypocrite. He knew what the gospel was. He taught the gospel that Jew and Gentile are one, that the law has been fulfilled in Christ, and we're now free to give thanks for all foods in the presence of God and eat with all peoples. And instead, he played the hypocrite. Now, the issue was not being a heretic, but being a what? A hypocrite. A hypocrite. And so Paul calls him out on it. Um, So the issue wasn't false teaching. It was bad application. He wasn't rebelling against Scripture. 
He wasn't, the problem was he wasn't resisting peer pressure. Now, first of all, isn't that good news? I mean, all, you ever get in situations where you feel pressured to go against what you know you believe in your application of life? Happens in the workplace, happens at school, happens uh, just with friends that are maybe unsafe. It's just good to know that Peter had that same temptation. He fell in it, but then he was corrected and he changed his ways. Now, let me say this. Even though the issue here was hypocrisy and not heresy, if such hypocrisy was not confronted, was not confessed, and was not corrected, that little error could have thrown off the whole Christian mission. Are you with me? So just because it's application and it's an error and it's not he's not a false teacher doesn't mean you ignore it and say, ah, it'll be okay. Paul said, look, we got to stop this right now. Do you re- who did Peter influence with his hypocritical behavior? He even influenced Barnabas. Okay, so a little error, especially among leadership, can create greater error that trickles down to the entire church and can spread to other churches. His, uh, Peter's bad example led to Barnabas following in the error of his way. So, important stuff, but it's still not false teaching. So, what's false teaching? Uh, we've hit this in the series, so here it is. False teaching is a subtle distortion, an outright denial of the truth, and here's the, that last phrase is important, that is taught as if it is true. The key in false teaching is you not only believe the wrong thing, but you want other people to believe it. And you start teaching it in deceptive and subtle ways. That's when you know you got false teaching. And that's when not only the leadership of a church, but the congregation of a church need to rise up and say, this is not right. This is not right. You need to resist it and you need to reject it. Now, Degrees of error. So just think through that. Learn to discern. The second thing you need to learn to discern, and we hit this last week, was learn to discern the mathematics of heretics. If you're going to learn to discern and be a lifelong learner of sound doctrine, then you need to understand these four ways that heresy happens. And do you remember what they are? The first one is adding to the truth. And what's the second? Subtracting. From the truth, what's the third? Dividing the truth. And then the fourth is, someone said it, multiplying errors and doubt regarding the truth. Now, I'm not going to take you through that and teach that. We kind of showed you examples of that in last week's lesson. But what I did do is take the time to give you some verses of Scripture that counter this idea. For instance, adding and subtracting from the truth, adding to it, subtracting, is dealt clearly with in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. And though it pertains to the book of Revelation, I think the Holy Spirit, who was writing all 66 books, puts in the last chapter this warning. It's Revelation 22:18 through 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone, now there's our anyone. It's going to be said twice. Remember what we said last week? Anyone can be a false teacher. Anyone. So he says, if anyone adds to them, now listen to the warning. 
God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. You know what the implication of that is? First of all, the plagues in that book fall on unbelievers. And you don't want the plagues of the end times falling on your life. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, people that add to Scripture are unbelieving and will suffer eternal judgment. Notice verse 19. And if anyone, doesn't matter who they are, if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Now, what's he saying? He's saying the only people that do damage to the Bible in, in, in a deceitful and determined way are unbelievers. Don't mess with the book. Amen? Now, we're not talking about specific translations. Those differ. We're talking about the meaning of the truth. Do not mess with God's Word. Don't add to it. Don't subtract to it. Dividing the truth. There's all sorts of scriptures there. Cut the Bible straight. Multiplying the truth. Or multiplying errors and doubt. Listen, all scripture is inspired by God. All of it should be taught. We don't divide scripture out. We compare scripture with scripture. And all of it comes from God. All of it is inspired. And we, and, and, and we just, we, we submit to it. And we rejoice in it. So, there you go. The mathematics. So, learn to discern. I like how Jude 3 and 4 puts it. And I think I have this in your notes. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Listen, the truth is here. We're born again by it. We're saved by it, and one day we're going to be raised from the dead and glorified by it. Don't mess with it. Instead, learn to discern. So that's the first way. Second thing is this. Learn to develop your understanding of gospel essentials and sound doctrine. So discern the error, but the way you discern it is to learn to develop your understanding. Where do I find it? Look at verse 12. He had many things to say. He wanted them to be lifelong learners, lifelong discerners. But he says, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face. That little phrase, paper and ink, is one of the most explicit references to first century writing technique. It's the only place in the Bible where papyrus is mentioned. And that's the, the, the word for paper. And ink there is the kind of ink that they would take charred wood, add a little water to it, and create blank, black ink. So it's very interesting. It's the only place in the Bible that this is really referenced. But you say, so what? What's that mean? Well, let me give you three ways to develop your understanding of sound doctrine from this verse. Three general ways. Here's the first. Read written truth in the Bible and books filled with sound doctrine. He says, look, he wrote. Because he wrote and because we're reading, we learned something in these uh, nine weeks. I hope. Did we? Yeah. Because we read it. Because we studied it. Look, you're never going to learn sound doctrine if your Bible collects dust. You're never going to learn sound doctrine if you don't read it during in between Sundays. So read written truth 
in the Bible. And don't just limit yourself to the Bible so that's the priority, but read books filled with sound doctrine. Listen, we are so blessed in this country. Amen? You, any week, every week, you can get sound doctrine on Kindles for as little as 99 cents and often free every week. In fact, everybody in this room can get a comprehensive library of a five... Now, this sounds like torture to some of you, I know, but you could get a library of 500 books on a Kindle and not pay more than four bucks for any of those books. We're just without excuse. To whom much is given, much is required. You say, well, I'm not a reader. Get an audio book. There's no excuses, folks. Get an audio book. You say, well, I don't want to read a big, thick book. I don't read like you do. Great. Read a simple book. In fact, the simple books are better sometimes. They're all out there. So, so do that. Uh, two things I, I would challenge you to do this summer as an application of this series. Number one, read our doctrinal statement and look up the verses that support it. When's the last time anybody... Has anybody looked at our doctrinal statement in the last month? In the last two months? In the last three months? Last six months? In the last... Oh, no, no, just rubbing your eye. Okay. Uh, last year. Okay, thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Last two years. Hey, you got to read that. It's out there on the website. Read the doctrinal statement. Now, some of you have joined in the last three years, so you should have been raising your hand because you saw it in the new members class. But that's what we typically do. We'll see it in a new members class, set it aside. Would, you, would we all commit this summer? Read the doctrinal statement. Does that make sense to do that? I mean, do you think that's a good thing to do? Nod your head. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a great thing to do. It's good for me to do. And I had a hand in shaping it. I read it and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, good. That's the number one thing. Second thing I want to challenge you to do is read one simple but sound book on theology this summer. Read one simple but sound book. Or listen to one simple but sound book on theology this summer. Okay, you say, well, which ones? Email me. Tell me you want to do this. I will help find you a book on a topic that's of interest to you, right? May not be interesting to me, may be interesting to do. What interests me may not interest you right now in your life. One simple book on theology. I think you'll be glad you did. You'll learn something. You'll develop your understanding. So that's the first thing. Read written truth in the Bible and books filled with sound doctrine. Number two, listen to spoken truth through preaching and teaching. I commend you for being here this, this morning. Could I give you a challenge to develop your understanding of sound doctrine? Don't just be here today, but be here the rest of the summer. Be consistent. We go on vacation. We know that. But be consistent. And uh, he says, look, I really want to talk to you, not just in writing, but face to face. There's something about the preached and the taught word that is powerful learning experience. Bill told me, hey, you got to get up there and wake me up this morning. Bill, am I doing that? I don't know if I'm waking you up. But there's something powerful, okay? You can listen to blogs, you can listen to sermons, but you can't learn like the Spirit moves on face-to-face. So, 
That's, that's the second thing. Number, number three, experience shared truth in community. Experience shared truth in community through classes and small groups. So in our church, that'd be our discovery hour. And we have uh, a couple classes for adults, classes for all ages. So you're here. here. This is a great way. It's in community. That's why we have coffee. Can you give Dane a big hand? Dane and Jackie do a great hand. Jackie, way to go. Jackie, smile, wave. Yes, there you go. And uh, why? They have a little community. There's just something about being in a class. Amen? That's why we have your round table, so you can interact a little bit in the community. But if you really want community at a deeper level and learn doctrine in community, then be a part of our grow groups here in the fall when we have our sign-ups. Listen, I get challenged. I have grown in my own understanding more than anything. I mean, obviously, I grow from studying. I grow from my own learning and teaching of you. But I've grown so much. In, 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 our, in a small group setting where I hear and we interact and I get to be a learner and not just the teacher. So, by the way, when it says face-to-face, literally, it, 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 in the Greek, it's mouth-to-mouth. And the idea is, John is not saying, hey, I have many things I want to tell you, and so I can't wait to get there and get you sat down and tell, tell you all the great things I know. He's saying, no, I can't wait to get in community with you. I want to talk. You can ask questions. We can interact. That's what we do. That's what we do. And that's what happens in community. I can't wait to come to you soon. All right. Third, third way we need to be lifelong learners of sound doctrine is number three, Learn to deepen our community. That very thing. Learn to deepen our community around the truth and the tests of life. So, learn to discern. Learn to develop your understanding of sound doctrine, gospel essentials. But learn to deepen our community. I love what he's saying here. Look at what he says in verses 12 and 13. I want to make one observation about verse 12. Another observation about verse 13. Look at verse 12. John is telling us that combating false teaching and contending for the faith takes place in the context of community, which builds our unity and completes our joy. He says, look, I can't wait to get in community with you because the best way to combat this false teaching is to build our unity and complete our joy in true fellowship around the gospel. I think that's awesome. I hope to come to you, speak face to face, so that your joy may be full. How? Through community. True community based on true doctrine. Observation number two about verse 13. The last words of this letter are these. The children of your chosen sister greet you. He ends the way he begins, talking about the elect church, a elect local church filled with true believers. And he says, look, they greet you. There's fellowship going on. Okay. Here's the observation. Combating false teachings of family affair. It involves local churches standing together to defend the faith once delivered to the saints. Listen, we can't combat false teaching in our country if God's people don't join together as churches to combat it together. Are you with me? Now, this may, you know, 
not be directly relevant to you, but I want to make this application. This is one of the values of denominations, of fellowships, and of networks. This is a good reason why churches of like faith and practice need to group together because it helps combat false doctrine and the spread of it, right? And so we're part of several networks. We're a part of a fellowship. We're not a part of a denomination. Yes, we are. We're identified with a denomination. So we, we have all sorts of networks, but what we unite around is the sound doctrine that all those networks share. Are you with me? So they don't control our church. Each local church is autonomous. But we get with other churches, unite around sound doctrine, move forward for the gospel. Listen, the re- sound doctrine is meant to be spread around the world to lead people to Christ. That's why we started with Mike Ivey. We're not just here to teach us for and no more. We're here to spread this out because this is the only means by which you may be saved. Amen. And so we join together to protect the truth, but also to spread it to all peoples. And we can't do that as a church alone. So he says to him, look, little church there in Asia, beset by false doctrine, existing in a world of lies and liars. You are not alone. Your sister over here sends you greetings. Listen, you don't think Randy calling these missionaries, knowing that we're praying for these guys who are surrounded behind enemy lines, spiritual enemy lines, don't have all the resources. Right now, our church, we're trying to send out some doctrinal books to strengthen our missionaries in some sound doctrine so that they can fight and offset false doctrine. It's hard sending a paperback to the Philippines. Not an easy thing to do. I'm praying that it's going to get there. You know, my point is, they don't have easy access. And so by us partnering together, encouraging one another, this is a huge thing. You see, good franchises produce the same quality product and service at every location. You know why McDonald's became so successful? Because they determined that every restaurant you walk into, no matter where it is, you're going to get the same questionable quality product and you're going to get the same level of service man i love famous dave's barbecue even though it's franchise barbecue which goes i i know jeremy i know but sometimes we got it sometimes we we got to be open to these things if you're going to get your barbecue fixed the reason i liked them is because they had anyone i could go to had the same quality of service but more importantly the same level of quality until this last time i went to the one that legends and the, something was wrong. The minute I walked in, I detected it, Jeremy. And they had a new manager, and he went away from the old ways, and I haven't been back since. Listen, this is the idea of, of, of networking. We, you want to be able to go to churches. You want to go to churches where you know there's sound doctrine, and they're going to apply the gospel in a way that's consistent. Now... The focus of all this is on fellowship. It's on fellowship. Turn to 1 John, and let's just look at verses 3 and 4 very quickly. This is kind of, 1 John 3 and 4 tells you what sound doctrine is supposed to be, is all about. Sound doctrine isn't harsh, it isn't unloving, it's not cold. It It is meant to spark a fire of warm fellowship among God's people. This is what it says. 
John says, what we have seen and heard, there's that lifelong learning interaction, we proclaim to you also. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not about kumbaya, let's all join hands, we all love one another, love, love, love. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe. There's many paths to God. Everybody will get there eventually if we could just get along. Give peace a chance. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, look, we desire to have warm, vibrant fellowship, but you've got to understand our fellowship is with the Son of God who's the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and it's with the Father. And out of that fellowship, we welcome in and we spread the gospel and we unite around the gospel. So let me end with this. I see two main, main ways lifelong learners deepen their community in these last two verses. And the first way is this. Community based on the truth of sound doctrine unites us to the Father and His Son in the Spirit. I think it's interesting in all the references I'm going to give you on these two points. You'll have to look at this and dissect it. it it probably needed to be in a chart but you had enough charts in this lesson so i didn't do that there's always this balance we fellowship with god around sound doctrine and we fellowship with one another to complete our joy it's always vertical and horizontal and so the first place we we unite listen we don't unite around the color of the pews we don't unite around even versions of the Bible. We don't unite around minor things. We unite around the gospel, the Son of God, who's the only way to the one true God, who gives us His Spirit, who transforms our lives, and who gives us a hope beyond death. Amen? That's our fellowship. And if it, listen, if you embrace that, We're family. Amen? You may have a different religious label. You may be part of a different uh, theological tribe. That's okay. Do you unite on that? Then we can have fellowship. Amen? And it's a beautiful thing. If you have not traveled this world to go to another country in another hemisphere on the other side of the world and to meet people you have nothing in common with, you can't even really speak each other's language, but you know the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's a warmth and a unity and a brotherhood and a sisterhood that cannot be broken. It can't be bought, and it can't be imitated. The world tries to in the bar scene. They try to on social uh, dating sites and all the... They they try to imitate the fellowship. But you can't. you, You can't. It's just a a blessed thing. The second way we deepen our unity and joy is community is based around the test of life. Community based around the test of life completes our joy. And I gave you one last time the four tests from John's epistles. It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to behave. It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to apply. And basically what he's saying here is this. 
It's not just right doctrine. It's how you live your life. Do you love other Christians? It's how you live your life. Do you walk in obedience? Do you abstain from sexual immorality? Do you abstain from gossiping, drunkenness, hypocrisy? It's a daily cleansing. And none of us are here today to say, well, I never do those things. We're here to say, I do uh, give in to temptation. And when I do, 1 John 1, 9, God is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then the chronological test. Are you persevering in these things? So, so my prayer for us, my prayer for each of you, my prayer for me, is that we will persevere in these things. And it will only get harder. In Jude, it talks about a world of lies and liars. Some will have doubts, and we're to show them mercy. Some will be deceived, and we need to snatch them out of fire. But listen, some will descend into such immorality. What we must do is try to save them, but not at a cost of our own holiness not at a cost of our own holiness. That means sometimes the best way to help someone is to distance and not participate in what they do. Love you. I want to see you rescued, but I can't take part in that. We must long for the truth by being lifelong learners. So here's what I want you to do. Take your test. Take the test and see, compare it. I don't know if you have the one from before or if you remember but take this and see if it's changed. If, if you missed quite a bit last time, I hope you miss less. Okay, that means the series has been successful. Amen? So take your test and check it out. Next week is Father's Day. We'll have breakfast down here prior to class. Welcome to come, whether you're a dad or not. Come for free breakfast, and, uh, and then we'll teach, and the lesson will follow. So good stuff, and... Uh, Let's love, but let our love be bounded by truth. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we come, and uh, we thank you for a legacy heritage of this church of sound teaching and sound doctrine. Uh, doesn't mean we haven't grown. We, we, this church has been a learning church, a growing church, growing, deepening, understanding of theology, sound doctrine, putting it into practice. Lord, protect that legacy that we may be lifelong learners not only in our church, but for our families and for our homes. Lord, I pray that we'll uh, look up the doctrinal statement, study it, read it, that we'll read one simple book on sound theology, and that we'll grow as learners this summer. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.